Well, it is a joy to be with you all again. Uh, thank you for this privilege. Um, I want to send greetings to those on Zoom. I, I apologize. Last week I didn't acknowledge you all. I knew you were there. I just forgot to say something. So I want to say hello to you all and encourage you to come worship with this body as you're able to in person, as God allows. Uh, let me pray for our time in God's Word. Our Heavenly Father, you know where we are today, as we've already heard through the leading of worship through Tom. You know exactly where we are. You know exactly what we need. And so we ask that now, by your Spirit, through the work of Christ, you would lead us to where you want us, and that you would make us in the image of your Son. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you would, please turn to the letters to the Hebrews. And... Uh, We'll be looking at uh, chapter 11, particularly verses 1 to 3, but I want to start the reading in chapter 10 at verse 32. Now, just a quick background. The hearers in this letter are not doing very well, just plainly. They're not doing very well. And we'll look at that a little bit later as we look into the uh, warnings that the writer gives. And uh, the writer has just given a very severe warning about... Uh, falling into the hands of the living God. But he's not uh, without hope as to the state of these people. He wants to encourage them. And so uh, in verse 39, or I'm sorry, verse 32, we'll pick it up and we'll go from there uh, as he, he speaks to these people. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come, and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. For we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. For by it the people of old receive their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. This past week, I had uh, lunch with a dear brother. It was a beautiful sunny day, very similar to today. And, uh, but my disposition didn't match the weather. <laughs> I was uh, kind of discouraged. I was tired. was really weary. even thought about canceling. But my whole purpose of this lunch was to encourage this brother. So I wasn't really on my A game. And, um, and as I went, and, and this brother has some pretty challenging situations, uh, I just found myself getting more discouraged and getting darker and darker, even as I looked out the window at the sun. And I'm thinking, wow, this is not really good, is it? Um, uh, this is not a great place to be. And, uh, well, you know, they've asked me to stop at 11.15, so let me just close in prayer right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, that wouldn't be the place to stop. Uh, but as I was in this kind of sad situation, and even looking out the window, and hope, you know, I want to be on my A game when I'm meeting with somebody for lunch. I want to be totally focused, and I could see my thoughts drifting. And 
maybe not hearing everything this person was saying, which is not the way to do counseling or any kind of encouragement at all. And um, I say that to my shame. And at the same time, while this is going on, we were at this fast food place, and I saw people coming in and almost immediately going out with their food. Coming in, almost immediately going out with their food. And when I had gone there, I'd come in, I'd wait in line patiently and slowly and you know, get through the line, you go sit down. And, but these people came in and out. It was like there was no need for them to be patient. While they were waiting in that place, they already they had their cell phone, they got their order via the cell phone, just picked it up and left, you know, kind of grab and go. No, no sense of you know, patience and endurance of the, of the line at all. And uh, believe it or not, this story is going to be relevant to this passage Or more importantly, (laughs) this passage is going to be relevant to my story. And and so what I want us to do is to consider this passage in the light of of, uh, the context of the letter to the Hebrews. I won't go into all the details. It's too much to go through. But uh, I think it's important to realize that these these people uh, that the writer writes to were not doing well. And I'm not even going to cover all the things that he's concerned about. But he first, in, in, in chapter 2, verse 1, he says they're in danger of drifting from the faith. They're in danger of drifting from the faith. What a, what a dangerous and serious thing. It says, therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. That they weren't paying close enough attention to the scriptures and the truth of the revelation that there was in Christ. And I'll say again, an early application, this is one of the primary gifts of the Lord's day. That every week he brings us back before the word of God. This is our privilege, sometimes in the evenings as well. It's a rare thing to find an evening service anymore. But what a great blessing to come back before the word of God, the, the, the word that brings salvation in Christ. And these people weren't paying close attention to it. We don't know exactly what their, their situation was, but we know that they were trying to drift back maybe to the Mosaic Covenant. Things of the Mosaic Covenant, things that were types and signs of the Christ to come. That they were drifting back to the Levitical priesthood, which was a type and sign to point to the sacrifice of Christ, and Christ is the, the high priest under the order of Melchizedek. But we we heard already in this text, as I began to read in chapter 10, that they were suffering. They'd been suffering. And sometimes when you're suffering, your mind starts to drift. And you start to look at the suffering, just like when I was doing it this lunch. I'm thinking more about my sorrows instead of my friend, in some sense. And I think that's a normal situation. We, We see it on large scale. We see it on the small scale. And so that we always need to be mindful of What is before our eyes is not all there is. And that's what the Lord's day does. It brings us back and it says, look, this is not all there is. Wherever you are today, whether you're facing life-threatening illness or difficult relationships, this is not all there is. The Lord's day wasn't established by by Rick or the former pastors or, or the session. It was established by God himself at creation. At first, at the end of the week, as they look forward to the coming of the Messiah, but from his coming until the end, it's the first day of the week. So as soon as we start a week off, as we start this week off, we know this is not all there is. And that we have a great hope in Christ, and Christ will return. And so what does he do? He lifts our head up to look to Christ. Every week we have this in the Lord's day. And that's why it's so important 
for us to be here. This is God's gift. God knows what he's doing. He has infinite wisdom. And in his infinite wisdom, he gave his creatures who were created in his image the gift of the Sabbath. It's no small gift. And we, we suffer at our own loss if we neglect it and the privileges that we have on this day. And so these people were endangered. They weren't paying close enough attention. Now, even now, today, I assume you have some distractions, as I do. And we always have to fight when we come to worship. And we have to fight to pay attention. But it's the, it's the fight of faith. It's the greatest fight we have. To, be, to remember what is true above all of our circumstances, above all that we see in the world. The writer tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father right now, interceding for us, even as we gather. And so he takes our eyes off this world and lifts them above, just like Paul says in Colossians. Set your minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And so this is a very practical letter. All scripture is practical. I can't, I can't just say this one is, but, but we need to see this, that these people were drifting because they had been suffering for a while. They, the writer even acknowledges, he sort of commends them for what they've already suffered. And yet when you're suffering, sometimes you get weary and your head drops and you feel like you can't go on. And sometimes it messes with our thinking and messes with our theology. And so we have to come back to the word of God, which is the, is the plumb line of our hope. We need to keep coming back to the word and keep coming back to the word. And we have opportunities during the week, maybe a Bible study or fellowship group or your own personal devotions or family worship to keep ourselves before the word of God, which is absolutely true. And so they were in danger of drifting away. Secondly, and this is the last one I'll really look at, he says that they were dull and behind in their spiritual progress. They were dull and behind in their spiritual progress. Verse, uh, chapter 5, verses 11 to 14. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This was a very sad state. They got into a place where they weren't even thinking rightly about basics of the faith. And so Paul said, I mean, so the writer, not Paul, we don't know who the writer is, but the writer says, you need the ABCs of the faith because you really haven't grasped them right because you're not living that way. And so often we, we need to go back and really pay attention. I really appreciate your bulletin and the things that are in there. It's worth taking some of those things home and just meditating on them on who God is. We need to slow down. We live in a very fast-paced society. And we need to slow down and let the words sink in. Let them speak for themselves. Don't let other voices kind of crowd out what the word is saying clearly. As we read that part from the confession, it's absolutely true about who God is. The confession has scriptural proofs that demonstrate why they say what they say. And every time I read that, I say, wow, you're exactly right. That's what the Bible says. It's just a succinct way of saying what is true. We don't put our weight on the confession. We put our weight on the word, but the confession is a way of, 
of uh, crystallizing some thoughts that are there in the Word, just a simple way to consider broad topics. And so it's a very sad situation that they've become dull of hearing. It wasn't that the material was hard. It's just that they couldn't comprehend it. They couldn't digest it because of their dullness. In some sense, laziness. They should have been further along. Now, some of you know that I was a PE teacher and I was involved with athletics. And I've looked at great athletes to see what's different about great athletes. They're very focused. They're about one thing. They're not about many things. They're the kind of people, that, like basketball players, who spend extra time in the gym on top of their regular practice. And they look at the details of their skills. They want to get better at every little detail. And so they try to make progress in that way. They want to become the best they could. And it seems like these people, some of them should have been teachers. They were delayed in their growth. Now, in the athletic world or any kind of musician world, you want people to live up to their potential. But there's nothing more important than living up to your potential as a child of God, whatever he calls you to, and your unique calling in Christ. To think that there were some in this audience of our here that they should have been teachers, maybe not teachers in the official sense, but in some sense where they can instruct others in the faith. But because they were lazy or dull, they couldn't do it. They weren't even really comprehending the simplicity of the faith and, and the other items of, of the faith. And they hadn't trained their powers of discernment to discern between good and evil. That they weren't able to say, oh, that's bad and that's good, on a simple level, it seems like. And that's part of the whole Christian life, is discerning more and more what pleases the Lord. What displeases the Lord? As we love the Lord, we want to please him. We want to obey him. We want to do what he says out of a heart that loves him. I think I've shared this with you before. I just celebrate. I know I shared the fact that I just celebrated my 40th anniversary. And so if I multiply that times three, if you think about anniversaries, Valentine's Day, and uh, birthdays, okay, 120, right? 120, 40 times 120. 120 opportunities to do something pleasing for my wife. And if on every one of those 120 days I gave her the most beautiful roses in the world and a wonderful uh, pack of the best chocolates in the world, in some ways you think, you're the man. You did the right thing. But on the other hand, it would have been opposite. Because my wife's allergic to roses, and she really doesn't care about chocolate. <laughs> and so really, I would have been like a, a dense... Uh, I would have been dense. Let's just leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> where I, I just didn't get the message. Honey, this is the 119th time you've sent me roses. I'm allergic to roses. <laughs> oh, that's right, yeah. Honey, this is the 119th time you've brought me chocolates. I don't really like chocolates. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Now, it, it is humorous, and that's part of loving the wife or the spouse that you have. They, they have particular likes and dislikes, and under the lordship of Christ, as husbands love their wives, as Christ loved the church. and you, you want to please them. You don't want to do something that makes them offended or sick. But the same thing is true in our relationship with the Lord above all. That we want to please the Lord. And how do we know it? We know it from his word. And it's not just reading the word, because we have to read the word over and over again, and we see kind of the same patterns all throughout Scripture. Old Testament to New. 
But God also uses providence to kind of make things click. It's like, oh, yeah. Now I see why this makes sense in the Scripture, because it's God's created order. And he works. He, he teaches us lessons in everyday life. Even today, I assume you'll learn something about Christ's Christ, uh, lordship in your life. And so it's very sad that these people could not discern between good and evil as they should have. You know, one of the tenets of our, our faith and our denomination is the regulative principle, that we only do what God wants. Now, I've affirmed that. I've been an elder for 30 years. I've affirmed it. But I have been so much more persuaded of it through reading the Old Testament Because it's obvious that God says, I want you to do this when you worship me, and don't do this. And over and over again, we see the blessing of worshiping God rightly and the curse of not worshiping God rightly. Always for the good of his people, and above all, always for the glory of himself. And so it's a very sad account of these people that they had this lack of of, uh, discernment. We're called to be a discerning people. If somebody met me the first day I became a Christian and met me today, hopefully there would be a change of some sort. That I'd be a much better discern of what pleases God and what doesn't please God. So with all that said, I just have four points. I'm going to try to make it brief. The four points are this. Faith is a gift. Faith is a gift. And I'm going to look at Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 as I speak about this. Secondly, uh, faith as a state, and that is that it fluctuates. It's not a static thing. Faith is not static. It's dynamic. It can go greater or lesser, depending on what's going on at the time. Third, faith as a way of life, and this is where we'll see it in the text, and I'll try to make it brief but clear, in verses 1 to 2 of chapter 11. And then finally, the foundation of faith, which is the word of God, and we see that in verse 11. So first, the faith is a gift. Faith is a gift from God, and I, I am going to another text to bring this to light, but it's important to remember whatever's true is true. These people didn't drum up their faith. They didn't come to it by their own reason, their fallen reason. There would be nobody in this room, including myself, if God didn't do a supernatural work of granting us grace to believe in himself of opening in our eyes. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. The gift of God, not, not a work. Not, the res- not a result of works, so that no one may boast. As we come, and we come with faith, we come humbly because we know this is not of ourselves. Nobody in the fallen state of Adam can reason themselves into a state of saving faith. It's impossible. It is utterly impossible. He gives us good minds, but they're all darkened because of the fall. It goes on, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. How often do you think of your Christian life as God's workmanship? You know, I think in our culture over the last, I don't know, 50 or 100 years, we think about, I made a decision for Christ. I made a decision for Christ. It's not to negate that we did, but there's more behind it. 
There's more behind it. It's not based on your decision. We love God because he first loved us. In our Westminster Confession of Faith, we, we read of the saving faith. It, you can refer to it later. It's on page 856 of saving faith. The grace of faith whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts and is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the word, by which also and by the administration of the sacraments and prayer, it is increased and strengthened. This is the goal that God has, is that we grow in our faith, not to become stagnant or go backwards. By this faith a Christian believeth to be true, whatsoever is revealed in the word. That we need God's grace, as we sang in this hymn before we we heard this, this message, we need God's help. We're always dependent, even as his children, to keep moving forward. By this faith a Christian believeth to be true, whatsoever is revealed in the word, for the authority of God himself speaking therein, that this faith acknowledges this is God's word and has authority. It has authority in my life. I need to submit to it. For the authority of God himself speaking therein, and acteth differently upon which each particular passage thereof containeth, yielding obedience to the commands, trembling at the threatenings, and embracing the promises of God for this life and that which is to come. But the principal acts of saving faith are accepting, receiving, and resting upon Christ alone. Christ alone, resting in Christ alone. For justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. That this is a gift from God. This is not something that we we earn, as we've already heard, as Tom alluded to. It is a gift of God, something that God works on us. I heard the gospel as a very young person, probably six or seven years old. I even asked Jesus to come into my heart. But nothing really changed as far as I could tell. But later when I was in high school, I heard a message. It was like, click, the light came on. And all of a sudden, the battle with sin started. The sins that I love now became my, my enemies. But see, this is who we are. We're his workmanship in Christ Jesus. As I said, this room would be empty if there wasn't any supernatural work of this sort. If you think about a junkyard, I, my, my, my brother Mark's not here today, and I spent many trips with him going to junkyards. You know, and all, These are things people don't want <laughs> in some sense. And you can say that all mankind, after the fall, became like a spiritual junkyard. And God, but God was pleased to save a people for himself out of that junkyard, if I can say it that way. And what does he do? He's going to make it a glorious person. He's going to make it to the image of his son. Just like somebody might go to the junkyard and say, I'm going to make that, that piece of junk into a glorious vehicle. That's what he does. That's why we're his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. That God has things for us to do as his workmanship. That we try to find out what that is and do it. He's done it ahead of time. There's works for us to figure out. But all to say in this whole this matter, I'm trying to make the point, is that it's a, it's a work of grace. It's not natural. So we need to understand that. It's so important to remember that 
faith is a gift. It's a gift from God. He has worked upon us in such a way that he's opened our eyes. He's shown us the glory of his Son and the salvation in his Son and led us to draw near and, and cling to Christ. It's a great gift from God. That's the bottom line. It might be today that God might open your heart. You've never been believing. He might open your heart today to trust Christ, to, to embrace Christ by his Spirit. The second point is faith as a state or that it fluctuates. And that's simply the whole context of this letter, but you could look at the whole of Scripture and see that's the context. There are times that people had great faith, and some people had little faith. As God's people, their faith was tested. We'll see later in the book of of Hebrews in chapter 11 that Abraham's faith was tested. Over time, his faith was tested, and he kept moving on. And then that one day, he was asked to sacrifice his son. And somehow, (laughs) Abraham was able to embrace that, and even to lift the knife with having to have God say, stop. A picture of what the father would do eventually, sending his own son, and not withholding the knife for our behalf, that he might die for our sins as a substitution, just as Abraham as saw the, 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 the ram, and that was the substitutionary atonement. It wasn't going to be his son. It was going to be this ram. But our faith fluctuates. We're never always the same. I think I mentioned this last week. You could do a chart of your life, and you can see where your faith was high and where it was low. Strong faith is able to keep going no matter what the circumstances were or are. Just like my, my lunch with my friend, I wasn't in the best state. Praise the Lord, the next day I was back on track and had a wonderful day, great productivity. But it's not always like that. You know, We wait on the Lord. We have to be patient. So we need to understand that our, our faith is not a stagnant or static attribute. We want to feed our faith. We want to walk by faith. We, the more we walk in obedience, the stronger our faith gets in some sense because we see this is the right path. What we, don't, we haven't experienced in reality becomes our reality. And we trust God more and more as we move on in the way of faith. So we need to realize that. We need to feed our faith with the things that are good. And this is the first one, being here on the Lord's Day and hearing God's word. And I think I may have shared this. I'm going to move on to the next point. But I think about how often I've been in the lowest state and I go to the word just because I'm supposed to. <laughs> and out of nowhere, my, my heart is lifted. My hope is increased. And I'm rejoicing in the Lord. That's the work of the Holy Spirit with the means of grace. You know, it's very sad. One of the, <laughs> one of the saddest is I can't do the Lord's Supper. You know, but hopefully next week, I guess Rick will be back, you know. But God in the Lord's Supper, to encourage us, he knows our status. He knows that we're pilgrims, and he has given us his word, and that's all powerful. But he's also given us sacraments to encourage us. He gives us the bread and wine to point to himself. So as we put the bread in our mouth, as we drink the wine, we see what Christ has done for us in a more tangible way. And what's amazing is God, Christ has instituted this. This is his vehicle to encourage us. You know, if you're, if you're an athlete or a musician, you want to have a great coach or a great teacher. You want somebody who knows what they're doing. 
God has infinite wisdom. I don't understand everything that's associated with the Lord's Supper. I don't understand everything that's associated with preaching. But I know this is the means, the primary means that God gives us to strengthen our souls. And he knows what he is doing all the time. All the time. I'll just one more <laughs> sidebar on this. There's been times where it's really dark. And like I said, it's pretty much the reiteration of the last thing I said, but it's like where I almost don't expect anything when I go to the Word. I'm just doing it because I know I'm supposed to. You know, if you remember the story of the Israelites, when Moses came to them at one point, he told them about all these things God was going to do. They weren't reality yet, but they are absolutely true because God said he would do it. And it says that they were despondent. They were despondent. That's there to encourage us. that We're not the first people to get despondent. Because we see, we know the end of the story that they didn't know when they heard those words. All they saw was darkness and sadness and slavery in Egypt. And very shortly they would be delivered. And they would plunder their enemies. That was all God. But when they heard it, it was like, <laughs> dark. I don't know. I don't know. It was worse than I don't know. They didn't believe it. I take such great encouragement from that. Because often we find ourselves there. But the Spirit of God is able to lift us out of that. Sometimes he, he lets us be in that place for a while to show us that he really is our only hope and shield. It's not us. It's not even the officers of the church. It's Christ himself. There's only one Superman. If I can relate from back week last week about Superman. There's only one Superman in the church. It's Christ but he loves us, and he's made us for himself, and he'll strengthen us. So faith is a gift. Faith is a state, and we need to keep taking the means of grace. God knows what he's doing. Hopefully you're hungering for the Lord's Supper next week if the Lord tarries. Third point from the script from this passage here, faith is a way of life. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old receive their commendation. The assurance of things hoped for. You don't hope for stuff you have, because <laughs> you have it, right? You don't hope for things you don't have, because you have it. The Apostle Paul, talking about his ministry in 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18, his, his difficult ministry that we kind of touched on last week, he says, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away and I know my outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now, when Paul says that, <laughs> and you've read ahead to chapter 11, where he lists his stonings, his stoning and his uh, 40 lashes minus one, and all the things he suffered, he calls it momentary light affliction. Now, that is just a spirit-born perspective. It's true. It's absolutely true. But it's, it's born of the Spirit, enlightening Paul through the Word and his own experience. He realizes this life is so fleeting. I have one life to live to Christ. But he goes on. He says... As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. 
And this is where faith as a way of life is so contrary to the way of the world. Contrary to our old nature, we see, we want, we see, we want, we, we want this world, we want the things of this world. There's no place on the face of the earth that's not affected by sin. Uh, you know, maybe in your life as I have, I used to think, oh, I wish I lived over there because it seems so much more pleasant, more joyful, so easy. And then you hear some horrific sin. There's no place that's barred from sin. But in the midst of that sinful world, the Lord brings a people to himself to live for his glory that some, as we'll read later in, the letter, in, the, in chapter 11, were sawn in two who lived in caves. I was like, I don't know if I really took that in as a young Christian. I thought it was faith was you believe and you get. You believe and you get. You believe and you get. Well, you do. But our, our end point is not in this life. Not even death. But it takes us to eternity when Christ returns and claims his own as we're waiting for him. So Paul says, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And that's what the, letter, the writer to the Hebrews is getting at. As these people are, have been suffering and they're weary, it's like, okay, let's stop and think. <laughs> like the Lord say, let's stop and think. What is true? You're looking at these things. You're looking at this. You're not looking up. You're not looking up to Christ. And the writer over and over and over in the book of Hebrews keeps bringing their eyes to Christ. We always need another dose of Christ. <laughs> whether it's through the preaching of the word or the reading of the word or the sacraments, God knows what we need. And so faith as a way of life means that you have to wait. God has a timetable. We, we pray for certain things, and sometimes I think we say, oh, no, nah, it's not going to happen. How do you know that? <laughs> Unless some, you know, there, there are times when we know that's not going to be the case. We lose a loved one or something. But we're looking to the Lord. We're walking by faith. We're, we're basing our hope on what God has already said. We're not looking to this world. We're not looking to circumstances. I would like to write a paper someday on all of the difficult circumstances the people of God have faced that seem like, well, that's, all, that's over. You know, I just read yesterday about uh, the Rabshakeh from Assyria coming to Hezekiah. He's saying, you guys are going to, you're going to drink your urine and eat your dung. And there, there's some fear in Israel in, in, with Hezekiah and the people. But they, they look to the Lord. But over and over again, we see these kind of things. And God surprises us by his grace. So whatever state we find ourselves in today, it's It's temporal. I'll share this. We have a, a dear brother in our congregation <laughs> who's dying. And I've known this brother for a long time, and we've played sports together. And he might have been an all-state athlete. But about two years ago, he was diagnosed with a certain disease, and he's lost about 60 pounds. And uh, he can't really get up. He lays there. I went to visit him a couple weeks ago. But he's got to be one of the most encouraging people I've ever seen dealing with hardship. He, he, he seems so content with God's lot in such a glorifying way. One of the 
things that he was told when he was diagnosed is that one of the ways you might die is by choking. And uh, I, I, there's certain things on my list I would never want to have happen. One of them was open-heart surgery, but I already got that one, so I can't I have to move on to other ones. Um, but, um, but to choke to death or suffocate would be, to me, it just... But this brother is so wonderfully resting and trusting. It's amazing. I'm so encouraged. You know, you go to minister to people, and they minister to you. I'm sure Glenn has had that in his ministry, where you, you want to do well, you want to minister, or, or others one to another. You want to do well, and they end up encouraging you by their faith, their humble faith in, in, in God's providence. And so faith is a way of life which is looking to the things that are eternal. And where do we find them? We find them in the word of God. Just a real quick sidebar on this number three point. It's interesting how much the Old Testament, the writer to the Hebrews knew, and how much he appeals to it over and over and over again as the basis for what he's saying to them now. And all of the Old Testament was to lead us to Christ. It was pointing us to Christ in the sacraments, in the, in the, uh, in the Passover, in the sacrificial system, in the substitutionary atonement. All those things were to lead us to Christ, to lead the Jews to Christ. But he helps them to see them in their temporary nature. That's what the writer does. He helps them to see them in their temporary nature and not to stand upon them as the ultimate because they were all pointing to Christ as the ultimate. And so faith is a way of life which requires looking to the things that are unseen yet promised by God and waiting patiently. The other thing is so important is that patient waiting. Sometimes all you can do is wait. You just have to wait, like the Lord wants you to wait it out. And I have found by my own experience that sometimes those are the most glorious times of learning of God's love. You realize very clearly you're not in control. God is in control. And in the midst of that, he loves you. He's not doing this, as we'll sing in our last hymn, Lord willing, to torment you or for retribution for your sin because Christ is already born but rather he's making you like his son. He's making you like his son. And so we need to learn that way of faith, that way of life. We don't live like everybody else with just sight. We see obstacles, and it's like, Lord, you see it. You know, just like Hezekiah, here it is, Lord. You see the Rabshakeh. You, you see Assyria very plainly. You're our help. You're our shield. You're our hope. So faith is a gift, faith is a state that fluctuates, faith is a way of life. And finally, the foundation of faith, and I will be short because I'm a little bit over here. Uh, Verse 3 of chapter 11. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. This is a very interesting, this is where the writer starts by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And what is he doing? He's giving them examples from the course of really of creation, as well as church history, redemptive history, of how people live. They all live by faith. But he starts off with the created order. None of us were there. (laughs) Tom read from Proverbs 9, which is a personification of Christ, I think. And 
it's interesting. Remember when Job was trying to be helped by his, his friends and wasn't really doing much good, and then God comes to him in a whirlwind. He says, were you there when I? Were you there when I? And the answer is no. And, and, and Job is humbled. He's humbled. But you know what's interesting? Jesus on the cross, he doesn't hear those questions. If he did, he'd say, yes, Father, you know I was there. You know I was there. Your word testifies to it. Because at that point, he was receiving the penalty that we deserved. The wrath of God poured out on him. And, and though he pleased the Father in every way and taking our penalty upon himself and willingly, he didn't get that comfort that Job did. <laughs> he didn't get that question. He'd say, yes, Father, you know I was there, unlike Job. And I think in that sense, what God was doing is giving a taste of the gospel to Job. A foretaste of a righteous man's suffering. Job was a godly man, but he wasn't, he wasn't sinless like Christ. And so he gave him a picture of the one to come. And his friendship with Job, he gave him, it was a painful one, yes. But even there, it's like he shares in Christ's suffering in some sense. As he looks to the one to come. And so the bottom line is just the word of God. So we know that the created order is what it is. I trust you all rest in that and trust in that because God said it. We weren't there. Generation after generation after generation after generation. And we see this even in, the, in, the, in chapter 11. He has like different time frames of people. They walk by faith. They walk by faith. They walk by faith. Before the flood, the time of Moses, you go down the line. He breaks it up kind of into sections, but it was always faith. We always think of Abraham as the, the great picture, and he was. But it was always by faith. What, was that, what did that mean? They trusted the word of God. They trusted the word of God. And this is the last thing, and I'll close here. That's why we want to know the word. This is the spiritual food that God has ordained for our faith. All of it, even the Old Testament, because in its place, the Old Testament points us to the Christ to come. And as of those of us who have experienced the, the first coming of Christ and know of his death and resurrection, we still learn of Christ as we look back at the Old Testament. It's like putting muscles on bones in some sense. I mean, we have the full revelation of Christ. The writer even argues that way at the beginning of Hebrews. But it's like, oh, now I understand what Election is, as Israel was elect or chosen. Now I understand what sacri sacri uh, um, substitution atonement is through the sacraments, what Jesus has done for us. Now I know how the sacraments turn away the, the, the uh, sacrifices, turn away the wrath of God in Christ. And we get the whole, whole of this life just to meditate on those things and grow in our love for Christ. So I apologize to my brothers for going over. But there's so much here to think about. Um, let, me, let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you, you would bless us. Every time we come in contact with your word, it is not like uh, the texts and the emojis that we get on our cell phone. It's not like the commercials that we hear on the air. It is, it is the bottom. It's the bottom of all things. It's the, the bottom of all that we know and understand. It's your word, our great creator and our great redeemer. So help us as we go forward in the word and bless us 
congregation